Don't spend summer sweating your home's AC. Right now, the Daikin Comfort Pros at Legacy Heating and Air are giving you over $1,000 in rebates when you purchase a Daikin Fit Smart System. This revolutionary system is designed to fit your space and your budget. Or upgrade to a Daikin AC today and save with payment options as low as $69 per month. Elevate your home's comfort this summer with a new AC from Legacy and Daikin. Visit LegacyHeatingAndAirInc.com to qualify now. A Cook Family Business. Welcome to Football Never Sleeps, the lightning-delayed, soon-to-be-viral Notre Dame football YouTube show brought to you by the crew at, where are we? (laughs) Inside ND Sports. And we are on a little bit late. Tyler had to finish his hot dog from the delay. That's right. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) We're ready to talk Notre Dame football with you. We're ready to take your questions. And we're ready to have Tyler tell us how to ask questions, how to do the notifications and all the stuff that is way over my head technology-wise. So, Tyler, take it away. Yeah, so if you are new to the YouTube experience, make sure you can submit comments to us by clicking through either to the YouTube site or onto the YouTube app. Um, On a desktop version, you should be able to have a chat box to the right-hand side where you can see other people's commenting, um, like the one Frank Sarah just sent. Um, And you can also submit comments and questions yourself. Uh, And then uh, if you're on a, a... mobile device of some sort in the app it should be to the bottom of the video so if you uh, look below our talking heads that should be where you can find to submit questions make sure you are subscribed to the channel make sure your alerts are on so you know when we're going live when you when you get our new content we have a weekly content cycle of monday night we have football never sleeps which is a live show fridays uh, friday mornings we have our place your bets segment um, where eric and i make prop bets and predictions for the upcoming game um, and then late Saturday, early Sunday, we get you a post-game takeaways video um, that you can tune into to um, get our uh, rapid-fire-ish thoughts about the, the past game and, and, and before we've gone to bed uh, or even sometimes, <laughs> as of late, before we even finish our stories, we're trying to get the content out to you guys as fast as we can. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Um, we've been receiving some good feedback, so we appreciate the support. But like, like, comment, subscribe, all those things are good for us. And we appreciate for those of you who are joining us live here and uh, tuning in, especially the ones that are here uh, on, a, on a mostly weekly basis. Right. And the crawl at the bottom of the screen, Football Never Sleeps is sponsored by Legacy Heating and Air. That's who has the air conditioner and the furnace in my house. Right now, it's undecided about which way it wants to go because the weather here in South Bend is a little (laughs) cool today. Uh, But either way, it's ready, and we love Legacy Heating and Air, and we appreciate them helping sponsor our show. Did you Um, do your homework from last week in figuring out who the the model in the uh, commercial that we ran before the the show is? I did not do my homework. All right, that's going to be logging. It's the gonna be a lingering homework. That's gonna be a lingering mystery. We're not until you figure it out. We're gonna let we're gonna leave people hanging. Maybe people can chime in and figure out if they recognize one of the people in the in the pre roll ad that we have at the beginning of the show. But um, Notre Dame football fans should, should recognize um, one of the one of the people at least in in that video. Okay, I will take your word for it for now, and we're gonna <laughs> roll into our football content. And this is Peacock Week, so if you're looking to watch the Notre Dame Central Michigan game Saturday at 2.30 Eastern Daylight Time. 
you're not going to find it on NBC. You're going to have to do the Peacock streaming or go to a bar or go to a restaurant or your neighbor's house that has Peacock <laughs> streaming. Hmm. So not on NBC this week. Uh, Central Michigan comes into Notre Dame Stadium 1-1. One and one. Notre Dame is the ninth-ranked team in the country at 3-0, and oh, at least in a couple of the polls. In the coaches' poll, they're still 11th. So we are going to start with uh, the injuries uh, heading into this week. Specifically, first players working their way back who are fairly close to playing. So what, what do we have going on there, Tyler? Yeah, so J.D. Bertrand is not necessarily out yet. He's to be determined. He's in concussion protocol. He missed the most of the second half of Notre Dame's game against NC State. Uh, with the concussion. So he's in that protocol. Um, Marcus Freeman said he wouldn't take contact tomorrow, so he's obviously not that close to exiting it yet. Uh, we'll see how that progresses throughout the week. It's it's hard to put a timetable on those things. Generally speaking, if someone gets concussed the previous week, they're probably going to miss the next week's game. Um, but obviously every incident is treated differently. They, they're testing the symptoms of those players, um, and Notre Dame will keep uh, – a close eye on J.D. Bertrand to, throughout the week to decide if he can play this week. Devin Ford, who was concussed um, in the Tennessee State game and missed the NC State game as a result, um, is expected to be back for Marcus Freeman. Um, those are the two um, that were most pressing, uh, the two that we expect to not play as well. Gabriel Rubio um, is out with a knee. Marcus Freeman said he would not play this week. He, he had that arthroscopic surgery earlier the season after the Navy game. Um, so still working his way back. I will say that I, he was out on the field before the game um, working out out of pads um, at NC State. So still made the trip, not in uniform, but still getting some work in. So his rehab seems to be going well. Whether or not that puts him in line to play against Ohio State, I would be a little bit doubtful that he can play in that game having not had any game reps before Ohio State. That seems like a really hard game to come back for. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll see what Marcus Freeman says next week about uh, Gabriel Rubio, if he can make it back. Um, Eli Raritan is the other one, tight end. Eli Raritan, who's been out working his way back from the second ACL injury to the same knee that he suffered last year. Um, and Marcus Freeman said he wasn't 100% sure if he would play this week. He didn't think that was very likely. Um, and that's someone else who's just sort of slowly getting ready, make sure that he's ready both physically and mentally, um, because obviously coming back from two the same injuries is something that's that's uh, a bit hard to overcome and something they don't want to rush too soon. So those are the, those are the main ones. Uh, Eric, do you, what are your thoughts on the two guys that are uh, more longer term injuries with Matt Salerno and KK Smith? Do you think we'll see those guys at some point in the season? Well, I think Salerno, yes, because he's out of eligibility. I mean, if he's got any any games left in him in November. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll try to work him in some games. They don't have very many games in November. They only have three because they have uh, the bye weeks coming up and so forth. One of those buys is in November. And then K.K. Smith, you know, he had the shoulder surgery and the original timeline was maybe middle of October. I think he's definitely going to be a guy that ends up redshirting. I mean, he looked like... He needed to acquaint himself with the weight room. He was pretty skinny coming in. Right. Um, so he'll probably be maximum of four games if he does play. And right now there are six really established guys in front of him. 
So unless there's an injury, there's really no push to get him into that rotation. And even then, I'm not so sure that Jordan Faison, the freshman walk-on, wouldn't be ahead of him at this point. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what how Notre Dame is handling the phase on situation in terms of whether or not they want to make him a scholarship player by playing him. Right. Um, that that is something that they have to monitor because he's a lacrosse player, and if the right. bigger the, the program with more scholarships has to put the player on scholarship if they play. Uh, so uh, he looks like a very talented football player, um, and so that is a an interesting decision that Notre Dame will have to to make at some point. Um, with Salerno, I don't know that I've heard for certain what. It, what his injury is and what his return will be, like how long we're looking. Marcus Freeman was very vague in terms of it being a long-term injury, missing multiple weeks, but he didn't necessarily uh, elaborate on that. We didn't get to ask him about that one today, so we'll see if we can get some more information on that. I know I've been trying to see if I could figure figure what, what exactly he's dealing with and um, when, when he could be back. I might ask that Thursday during the Zoom if, if, the, if I have – you know, we're rationed on questions, so if if I have an extra question that I can ask, I'll, I'll do that on Thursday. Um, yeah, so Notre Dame is in pretty good spot from an injury standpoint. Um, and now they're playing Central Michigan, a team that uh, was competitive with Michigan State early in a game at NS East Lansing, Michigan. And then ended up losing 31 to seven. Then they played an FCS team last week, and it's a decent FCS team, New Hampshire, but they almost got beat by New Hampshire. It was 45 42. Central Michigan had a um had a field goal right at the end to pull ahead 45 42. When you look at them statistically, they really don't do anything well except for um kickoff returns run offense and run defense. And even then they're kind of middling in those things, but they're really struggling in a lot of the other areas. Notre Dame is, I think it's up to a 33 and a half point favorite, but they're really going to have to focus um, and probably roll their depth in to, to get the best out of this week. So Tyler, what's, what are your thoughts about central Michigan, their head coach, Jim McElwain, who used to be a very familiar name in college football. Yeah, Jim McElwain, I think, sort of rose to prominence, at least from my point of view, uh, when he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, winning a couple of national championships um, for some teams that were very run-heavy. So the fact that Central Michigan is, is is good at run offense shouldn't be terribly surprising. That was when Alabama was winning titles with guys that, at quarterback that weren't necessarily the most talented. They're not, we're not talking about the Bryce Youngs back then. We were talking about the A.J. McCarrens. Um, they, they beat Texas. Um, I believe that was the 2009 season. So I think it was probably played in 2010. Um, that was the game where Colt McCoy went out injured. Um, and then I, I don't think Alabama scored a passing touchdown that game. It was all the running backs. Uh, that's when they had Mark Ingram and Trent Richardson. Um, and then 2011 title game that was against LSU. And I think there was, there's like five field goals in that game. So it wasn't like that was in Alabama's firepower offensive days, but certainly, um, that that launched him into a head coach position um, out at Colorado State um, and then into Florida, and then that didn't go so hot. And so he's revamped uh, uh, or, or rebounding his career with a stop at Michigan as an assistant um, and then now uh, at Central Michigan. Uh, the, 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 I think the player to know about from Central Michigan is, is its quarterback, 
Burt Emanuel Jr. <laughs> it's funny. If you look at the stats from last season, he finished second on the team in rushing, and he only played in four games. <laughs> so he had 496 yards and, and seven touchdowns rushing um, and only attempted eight passes. Um, he's not a great passer this season. He's 18 of 36 for 280 yards with three touchdowns and three interceptions. Um, and like you mentioned, the defense hasn't been so hot given that they gave up 42 points to New Hampshire, um, and that's how um, Central Michigan almost almost lost that game. So this should be the kind of opponent that Notre Dame has their way with. Um, I don't know that it will be as extreme as the Tennessee State game was um, where Sam Hartman doesn't even play in the second half. Um, but it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that Notre Dame could do that um, if Notre Dame is firing, firing on all cylinders and isn't overlooking Central Michigan with Ohio State waiting down the road. Well, speaking of down the road, so in a, a little, I guess a little bit less than two weeks, Notre Dame hosts Ohio State. Then they play at Duke, who's ranked. They play at Louisville, who's undefeated. And then they play USC at home. So there's a really tough stretch coming up. Now, so far against the overmatched opponents, Notre Dame has been able to extract some things to learn about their team or that will help them down the road. So what can they do against, you know, a four plus touchdown underdog this week that may help them, if anything, in those four games that follow? Yeah, I think pass pro is something that we'll talk about later um, that I think Notre Dame needs to continue to get better at. And even if you're playing lesser opponents, you that that is helpful to, Get those get those reps in, and make sure you're focusing on your fundamentals because sometimes it's not necessarily the opponent that's forcing those issues. It's yourself that, are, and you're not focusing on the details you need to be doing, and not not using your correct techniques. Um, I'd like to see them take some shots down the field in the vertical vertical passing game. That hasn't been something that has been a huge part of the offense. Um, I don't know that Notre Dame needs to do it against Central Michigan, but if you're gonna try to iron some things out. That would be uh, on my short list of things that Notre Dame would like that I would like to see from Notre Dame, um, get more experience from the younger players on offense and defense, whether it's those, th some of those running backs who are getting some carries J Jadarian price and Jeremiah love Tobias Merriweather, Jaden Greathouse, Rico Flores at the wide receiver group um, defensively, Joshua Burnham, who's, who's getting some more and more reps. Uh, Jalen Sneed. I think any reps that he gets are important. Um, so I think those are all things that I think Notre Dame could really use. And then obviously beyond those guys, anytime you're getting building depth beyond those positions, I think is important. What do you, what are you hoping to see, uh, that could be extrapolated beyond the central Michigan this weekend? Uh, you know, we will talk about this a little bit more in depth, but I would like to see Notre Dame get some sacks. They have done a great job of using pressure to build one of the top pass efficiency defenses in the country. They moved from sixth to fourth after playing against a four-year starter um, on Saturday and and the guy that was second in the country in total offense a couple years ago. And they've also really upped their game in terms of takeaways. They were at 98th last year in takeaways and really down at the bottom the whole year. They are 14th right now in takeaways. So they were able to get Force Armstrong in a career high three interceptions and in the 45 24 win down in Raleigh on Saturday. 
but I still think it's important to get home. I still think that you eventually need to get those sacks. I think Marcus Freeman believes that they're going to get there. Now, the the counter to that is how much do they want to show of their best pressure packages this week? Certainly, you'd love to be able to accomplish it with your front four, but I don't think we've seen the full span of what Notre Dame's going to do with their linebackers in terms of blitzing and pressuring. I think they're saving that for the teams that are coming up. And so, uh, especially an Ohio State team that does not have a dual-threat quarterback in Kyle McCord. Yeah, I, I, it'll be interesting because, like I mentioned, Central Mission's quarterback is a runner. Yep. Um, so do you play him similar to the way you played Brandon Armstrong? Uh, Marcus Freeman sort of indicated that he didn't say it in this way, but he was like, "We, our priority was making sure we're staying in our rushing lanes. So I, I don't know that Notre Dame was necessarily worried about sacking Brennan Armstrong. I think they I don't just think to... you're right. I think you're right in this game. Um, and so I think that will probably be the case against Central Michigan as well. I, I mean, maybe you can get away with being more aggressive because you're just not sure that he's going to even uh, hurt you as much. But I, I just think that you probably have to play with a lot of the similar, a lot of similar concepts in terms of trying to keep the quarterback contained and making sure that he's not breaking the pocket and giving opportunities for bigger plays where, where coverages break down and re- receivers break off routes based on the, the, the running back or the quarterback getting out of the pocket. Um, so I don't know if we'll see that against central Michigan. Um, certainly be nice to see the, the sacks. Maybe you can just get that with four guys um, and, and not have to worry about that. But I think uh, it'll be, it's sort of touch and go there for what, what sort of priority Notre Dame wants to put on getting sacks versus, Um, just making sure that they have the quarterback contained. Right. So for those unfamiliar with Bert Emanuel Jr., he's six foot two, 230. He's a redshirt freshman. I mean, big, good-sized kid. His dad was a former NFL wide receiver who played in the uh, for Atlanta and Tampa Bay for eight years. So he's got some speed, but he has been sacked six times in his first couple games in the Michigan State and New Hampshire games. Uh, I don't think George O'Leary got one of those sacks, but uh, <laughs> but we'll see. So, um, but but I do think the pass rush is going to be interesting, and I think once we get to the Ohio State game, it's really going to be important in that game. And so, uh, so far there have been four sacks. They've all come from defensive linemen. Two have come from technically third teamers, Donovan Heinish. And Josh Burnham, four and three games would put you on a pace for 17 in a 13-game season, which would be the third lowest total since 1988. Uh, But again, you've played Navy, and that was a team that had six pass attempts in the game, and they actually got two sacks in that game. And then Tennessee State, which the game got away from Tennessee State, so they weren't you know, amping up the pressure on those Tennessee State quarterbacks once the score got out of hand. So I think their best pass rush days are ahead of them. I'm just curious what that's going to translate to in terms of of sacks. And so do we want to take some questions before we get into the next? Yeah, pacer? let's do that. Okay. Well, I, got a, right. I got a number of questions here for us. Uh, first one is, was a comment rather than a question. Eric, you were right. If Sam Hartman fumbled, he wouldn't be benched. So congratulations. I cheer for being right 
And uh, <laughs> yes, he fumbled twice against NC State. He was not. Uh, and and I think some of that was, you know, I don't know how much completely that was his fault, but, uh, you know, he needs to, you know, when he gets hit, he needs to wrap that ball up and, and go down. I don't think he was expecting to get sacked four times, even though it's happened a lot against NC State. Right. He'd been sacked in two starts there a total of six times, I think. And so, um, you know, to get sacked four times, I think he was a little bit surprised. He lost one of those fumbles. But thank you for pointing out that I was right about something. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of challenged Marcus Freeman saying that he needs to pull him if he fumbles, given his stance on the Audric estimate thing. Uh, and someone reached out to me after the Tennessee State game like, hey, did you see – on that one scramble, Sam Hartman actually fumbled it out of bounds, <laughs> but he, it wasn't a lost fumble, and nothing ever happened to him. So that was uh, that's sort of what we would expect. And I don't think any of us really thought that Sam Hartman would get pulled if uh, he had a fumble or a turnover of any sort. All right, next up, Jeffrey Stevens. Eric, ND is 39th in rushing offense uh, year to date per your article this morning. To improve, do they need more time with the current O-line starters or more rotation to include Shrouth and Christophic? I think if you go to Shrouth and Christophic, even though Andrew has some uh, starting experience and Shrouth is a mauler, I think you're starting from scratch. Then you're with your offensive line chemistry. And again, the experience of guys seeing through, you know, the Mike Golick, one set of eyes, five guys seeing through one set of eyes. I think you're starting that process all over again. I think it's got to be a real disaster for you to say, let's start over with these two guys or even to rotate. I think that messes up the rhythm of the offensive line even more. It worked the one year with Hainsey and uh, Tommy Kramer at right tackle, uh, but I, I just don't recommend doing that. I know um, Coach Joe Rudolph, offensive line coach Joe Rudolph, he doesn't want to do that. He would rather have starters and then bring the next five guys in as a unit, which is what they've done in the first three games. They've brought those reserves in. So right now, I'd say let's hold and see where Notre Dame is maybe after the Duke game. And then if and if it's a disaster then, then maybe heading into Louisville on October 7th, you make a change in a starter. But I don't like the rotation idea. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame could be higher in rushing offense if in the second halves of games it was trying to run the ball. So, you know, like they're not padding their stats with rushing in the ways that they have in the past where uh, when Steve Angeli got in the game against Tennessee State, they're like, okay, let's throw the ball some more. And so right. maybe that limits your rushing. I, I don't I don't think Notre Dame's offensive rushing attack has necessarily been dominant. Um, it's for the most part been able to do what it wants to do. Um, and I think there's certainly room for improvement. Uh, I think in terms of the mentioning of Shrouth and Christophic, I think Pat Coogan is playing a level or two above Rocco Spindler. So if, if, if one, if someone were going to get subbed out, I think it would be Rocco Spindler personally. Um, I'm not saying that needs to happen. Um, I just think that he needs to improve his game and, and that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Um, I think his and his issues have been more, in my opinion, in pass protection than in, in run blocking. 
Um, so Notre Dame's just trying to figure out different ways to attack with its run, as we've seen, and as I, I mentioned in this in the preseason camp, that I thought Notre Dame would do a better job of attacking the edges with its running game, and I think that's really um, been something that Notre Dame's able been able to do. They've even extended the edge of the offensive line when they run some unbalanced uh, lines, uh, which they did uh, against NC State with moving Joe Alt from left tackle to outside of Blake Fisher at right tackle. And so that's a pretty formidable force with those two on the, on the right side of the line together. Um, but you'd like for Notre Dame to be able to be more balanced with its offensive rushing attack and not have to move Joe Alt to the right side to have success running it to the right side. Um, so I think there's definitely room for improvement there, um, but I don't know that Notre Dame's going to turn to a rotation um, anytime soon. Right. The the thing, too, that I should point out is Notre Dame, if they just maintain their average of a little bit over 194 a game, that 39 ranking will come up as teams play other conference teams and not FCS teams every week. Um also, the 5.71 yards per carry they're averaging, if you pasted that into last year's stats, that would be the third best in the country. So from an average standpoint, that you got to look at that too. And Notre Dame is doing well there. A lot of that is because of home runs, but they are averaging 5.71. All right, let's go to Eric Swope. I would like to start off by talking about something many fans aren't discussing, and that would be how – well, that would be how Sam Hartman faced adversity and seemingly brushed it off. Your insight on the evolution of our quarterback. Um, so adversity within this game, adversity within his life, adversity within his history with NC State. I think there's a trifecta of situations there with Sam. But let's just talk about within this particular game. And I think it was kind of a collective adversity and kind of figuring out what NC State and Tony Gibson, uh, the Wolfpack defensive coordinator, were trying to do with that 3-3-5 because what NC State did Saturday, I'm sure, was varied from what Sam Hartman saw them do maybe in the first couple times. They really try to sell out to stop the run and get Sam in third and long, which is similar to what they did when he was at Wake because Wake couldn't run the ball. But I think the pressures were coming from different spots and Jared Parker had to figure out, okay, how can I use this, you know, pursuit against them? How can I get them to over pursue and call some plays that, that take advantage of that. And eventually you know, Sam stayed patient, didn't try to press like he did in some of the Wake Forest NC State games. And then eventually the play calls came his way and they had some nice big chunk plays against that pressure, which which ended up paying off. And then at the end of the game, you look up and he's got another game of over 200 pass efficiency rating. So after three games, his pass efficiency rating versus all three teams is pretty similar. NC State was the number 12 team in the country in pass efficiency defense last year. He's number two behind only the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, Caleb Williams. Yeah, I mean, there's still there are things to critique within Sam Hartman's game. Um, I think that there were a couple protection situations in the game where I think he maybe ran into some pressure um, or should have recognized, for instance, there was one cornerback blitz 
um, that was unblocked. And that's that's not going to be the responsibility of Notre Dame's offensive line to block. He has to recognize that and get rid of the ball, know who's who who's hot receiver is. But obviously, the, he's gonna he's not flawless. <laughs> We're talking about a quarterback who's playing at a really high level so far. Um, and I think that he was he's able to maintain his composure. I think that's one of the things I like most about Sam Hartman is that yes, he may make some mistakes, but it's not really going to phase him. He's going to come back and keep playing. Um, it may be it can, it can go sideways for him. We've seen in the past where Sam Hartman commits one turnover and then he, then a couple more follow. Um, and so maybe sometimes that aggressiveness can be a little bit reckless. Uh, but I think that he's going to continue to be aggressive and have the confidence that he can make plays to keep um, things moving for Notre Dame and. Certainly the two-minute drills um, have been phenomenal. for. I mean, they've been less than one-minute drills uh, when, when Notre Dame, the way Notre Dame's been executing them. Uh, so I think that there's a lot to, to like about Sam Hartman. I'm sure he was pretty pleased to be able to leave Raleigh with a victory this time. All right. Uh, we are not Marshall says, I have never seen a team get beat by 21 points and their fan base talk about how close the game was. So we are not Marshall Mess have been spending some time seeing what the NC State folks were up to. Well, I mean, it it was a seven-point game with NC State having the ball twice, one of those times inside Notre Dame's 20-yard line. But then that's when Notre Dame really, you know, put it in gear and was able to put them away. And then it was all of a sudden 45-17 in three straight possessions they – uh, get two interceptions and then a uh, turnover on downs, and they turn all three of those into touchdowns. And so it got away from them very quickly. But, I mean, you don't get bonus points for partial scores. So, um, I mean, it, I guess if they're encouraged by how they played against Notre Dame for three quarters, more power to them, I, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. They definitely apparently have really good concession stands, so they should get <laughs> points for that too. Yeah, they were competitive and made Notre Dame sweat and had opportunities to to either go ahead or tie the game, and they they weren't able to do that. Uh, so, it I would say it was a close game for the most part. Um, it didn't finish that way. I think, from my point of view, I don't think that NC State's offense is one that's best playing from behind. Brennan Armstrong and that passing game just aren't they it isn't in sync enough. Um, he is not accurate enough. Those receivers don't make enough plays for him uh to be able to try to come back. And I think that's when you started seeing that's when you saw a couple of Notre Dame's touchdowns, although the game wasn't out of hand yet. NC State felt the need to open it up with the passing game and and, and Notre Dame had made some adjustments and figured out what they were trying to do and and were able to take advantage of that. So I think um NC State played well for the most part especially with the way they came out. I mean, certainly made Notre Dame's offense really sort of, okay, what are we doing here? That Notre Dame's offense looked all out of sorts when it had looked out of sorts in any first half this season so far. And uh, that was a a tough start for Notre Dame to rebound from, and, and Notre Dame did exactly that. I think over the balance of the season, NC State's defense is going to prove to be pretty good. I don't think they're statistically looking great right now after – what Notre Dame was able to do them points and yards wise and so forth. But I think at the end of the season, we'll look back and say, those guys are pretty decent. Their offense. I'm not so sure about um, Brendan Armstrong doesn't have the playmakers 
at NC State that he had two years ago at Virginia. And the ones that he does have, two of them are freshmen. One of them is an eighth-year guy that just came in from Rice right before fall camp started. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe eventually he gets in sync with them. And there is really no semblance of a traditional running game. I don't know if if they're going to be able to develop that. I, you know, none of those backs really impressed me. And when I saw them play UConn with the, um, the on the road, the opener on a Thursday night, I wasn't impressed with their running game either. So it's going to be Brennan Armstrong and hoping to get bring those freshmen and the eighth year senior along and get some explosive plays that way. All right. Bob Alvey has more of a comment than a question, but we can turn it into a question. After three games, four players with a rushing touchdown and eight players with a receiving touchdown, what what do you think that says about Notre Dame's offense, the way they've been able to spread spread the ball around? Yeah. Marcus Freeman talked about that a little bit today, specifically with the passing game. You, you've got a lot of players that are buying into – the depth you've got five running backs you've got all these wide receivers and tight ends that are involved and you got running backs involved in the passing game i mean 16 players have caught at least one pass eight of them for touchdowns as bob pointed out and so does notre dame need a go-to receiver or is this system of going through progressions and finding the open man is this a better option. Tyler, what's your thought on does Notre Dame need a, a quote unquote go-to receiver? Uh I think in some sense, yes. I think there need in when Sam Hartman drops back, I think he needs to have guys that he knows can make plays for him. Um and now if he feels that same way about everyone, that would be great. I feel like production is going to lead to that. I think Jaden Thomas still is that go-to guy. When Notre Dame wants to make a play, uh, Notre Dame tried to go deep to him, and he wasn't able to bring in a pass. Um, I think that there might was have been a, a miscommunication early in the game with him. Yeah, and- yeah, there was that one, and then I think after that they went back to him, and he had the one where he couldn't quite catch it. He was he dropped it going out. It would have been a it would have been a really nice catch. It was a great throw, um, but he wasn't able to haul it in. Um, and so I think he is the go to guy. Um, but yeah, it seems like Sam Hartman is comfortable with spreading it around and being adaptable and and he seems to have chemistry with those guys maybe him and Jaden thomas still have some things to work on to be sort of the, for him to be the true go-to guy um but as long as it's producing the way it is uh you, you can't you can't uh feel too bad about it but i i do think as the season goes along we'll see someone sort of emerge um as the go-to guy and my guess would be it would be Jaden thomas all right, Scott Feagan says, guys, what I am seeing this year versus last year or previous years is the quicker adjustments. This helps Sam as well as the defense. It's just good to see coaches making the changes early. In a small sample size, Scott, I would agree with you. I think there were games where Tommy waited until halftime to adjust, and I do think there were games that he did, and there were games that he did not. You know, you look back at, the Oklahoma State Bowl game, Marcus's first game, you look at the Stanford game and the Marshall game, I don't think that there were very good adjustments at any time in those games yeah. from the offensive coordinator. So, so far in the small sample size of three games, we've seen in-game adjustments from Jared that didn't, Parker that didn't take until halftime 
to start to put into practice. Yeah, I mean, against NC State, it helped you had sort of an extra halftime. Yeah, uh, but Notre Dame did start to make some adjustments before that that uh, that uh, hour and forty five minute delay that happened early in the second quarter. Notre Dame's offense was able to put together a, a scoring drive before that break, um, and I think that was a good sign. And Notre Dame's defense later in the game was giving up some yardage over the middle to NC State's offense and Brennan Armstrong. Um, and then they recovered and then had two interceptions over the middle later in the game. So certainly those adjustments have 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 gone well for Notre Dame. Um, and I think it's a combination of things. It's one, you have the coaches and their willingness to make the adjustments, but also you have to have players that can handle those adjustments and be capable of changing maybe what they learned during the week and adjusting on the fly and maybe saying, well, this isn't what we prepared for, but this this is something we have practiced in a different situation it can be applied in this way and being able to to maybe fully realize that um, and and come through it in those moments. So that is definitely um, a good sign for Notre Dame and something that I don't know that we've always seen from the Irish. All right, one more question here from Jeffrey Stevens. Um, for me, uh, Jeffrey is wondering about the display of game tickets behind me. What is the most memorable game you've attended and why? Um, what, what are behind me mostly are credentials from all the games that I've covered uh, during my career, um, both covering Notre Dame and some of them are like from my college journalism career and when I was uh, an intern at the Columbus Dispatch in Ohio and stuff like that. Um, in terms of most memorable game, off the top of my head, in terms of a win for Notre Dame, probably the, the game at Oklahoma um, in 2012. That was very memorable. Uh, that that was actually like the, the first big road game that I went to. 2012 was the first full-time season I covered Notre Dame for the South Bend Tribune. Um, and uh, that was pretty cool. I was there with Eric um, and certainly Notre Dame. That was sort of the sign that Notre Dame was a legit team and legit contender that season. Um, and the rest of the season obviously played out well until that national championship game. Um, some other ones, some other road games. Clemson in 2015, that one was incredible. Um, that one wasn't a win for Notre Dame. Uh, Florida State in 2014, that one was awesome. I was in the, I was behind the corner of the end zone where the pass, the infamous pass interference call was made that I took a touchdown off the board for Notre Dame. The Georgia game was really fun. Um, so there's been lots of cool environments, and I've been able to get to um, thanks to this pretty, uh, pretty cool job we have. What, 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 what would be your most memorable game, Eric? I would say road game. I would say Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, that was when Notre Dame football came back on the national map mm -hmm. um, and stayed. Um, that was when the, even the biggest skeptics went, whoa, that is because Notre Dame was ranked higher than Oklahoma and was um, – a significant underdog. I'm, I want to say like seven or eight point underdog, even though they were ranked higher. And then that led them to get a chance to play in the national championship game, which didn't go well, but had um, Kansas state or I think it was Oregon taking care of business. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame would have had a more manageable opponent in the championship game. <laughs> so but yeah, that Oklahoma game, I, I don't know that I'll ever forget that. The uh, atmosphere and just, it was like watching a movie that you'd seen so many times and then there being a completely different ending. And that was 
Notre Dame just kind of bullying Oklahoma in the fourth quarter. And, and I just wasn't expecting that. And um, that was just incredible. And in that incredible atmosphere, those Oklahoma fans and that whole stadium was amazing. Yeah, and that season I actually missed the Stanford game, which it was obviously a very memorable game at Notre Dame Stadium. I was out of town for a wedding, so I missed that one. Um, and I wasn't in in Notre Dame Stadium for the 2020 upset of, of Clemson uh, because of COVID rules. Eric was Eric represented us for that um, in 2020. Uh, last oh, year's last year's Clemson game. game. Yeah, that was maybe the most memorable game for me, just because of so many different reasons i was there for the 1993 notre dame florida state up or number one versus two the clemson game was more memorable to me just because of everything including covid all right let's uh get to uh some of the other things we wanted to talk about eric okay so notre dame after three games Marcus Freeman said he wanted to be an O-line, D-line driven team from the start of his regime. And, and let's look specifically at the offensive line, how that's going. We've talked a little bit about Rocco, Spindler, and uh, Pat Coogan. But as a whole, how would you evaluate the offensive line through three games? And what do you think the potential of this is? Do you expect it to be a way better than average offense. Uh, yes, better than average, yes. I would say if I was grading their three games, I'd put them at like a B, B minus maybe, maybe B, somewhere in that range. Uh, I think you're sort of grading on a curve when you're talking about playing against Navy and Tennessee State. I don't think that NC State was the best game for Notre Dame's offensive line. I think the run blocking – even though there were some struggles early against NC State, the run blocking hasn't been wasn't terrible. Um, I think it can certainly be better. Like I mentioned earlier, the right side of the offensive line I think has not held up its end of the deal, and that excuse me, and that includes Blake Fisher. Um, I think that he needs to play better, um, and certainly has the capability to play better, um, both in in run blocking and in pass protection. Um, the pass protection, I think, is of more concern to me. I, I, I sort of highlighted some pass protection issues that Rocco Spindler had against Tennessee state, which people didn't think much of because it's Tennessee state, but then it sort of came back again against uh, NC state. Uh, he was given the worst uh, pass blocking grade from Notre, for Notre Dame against NC state with a 41.1 uh, Blake Fisher uh, had a 70.1, which was third on the offensive line with Zeke Carell at 64.9 at fourth. So I, I just think that, that that right side of the offensive line needs to take some strides and make some improvements. Um, the unbalanced line, while it is an interesting wrinkle, I think um, isn't a great sign, like I said earlier, that maybe they're just not getting the right looks that they want from the, against the right side of the offensive line and they're just not taking advantage of them. I think they're giving up penetration too much, both at, in run blocking and pass blocking. Um, so there's definitely room to improve there and, and – I think the O-line will certainly be tested, um, if not against Central Michigan, certainly by Ohio State. What are your thoughts, Eric? I have high hopes for them. I mean, I've seen really good offensive lines kind of go through this early in the season, and then they get to game 
four or five, and then you start to see a great improvement because of the chemistry. I, I, again, Joe Rudolph wanted a physical offensive line, and he was willing to bet that the guys that he put on the offensive line would adjust to pre-snap movement and all the other things that first-year starters have to deal with um, in, in becoming really good offensive linemen and, and not becoming you know, the soft spots in an offensive line. NC State tested those guys. Mm-hmm. And so if they can learn from that, apply that, then they're going to benefit from that game. If they keep making the same mistakes, if if there's, you know, this becomes kind of chronic, then, you know, maybe they're not going to reach the point that they need to reach. But uh, right now, I think they're certainly the talent and I think they're certainly the coaching that leads me to believe that we're going to be having a different conversation a few weeks down the road. Yeah, I think that's fair. Let's let's throw this question in here for Mike DeVoy, um, since it's related to the offensive line. The interior O-line seemed to have more problems with NC State's front seven than the first two games. Was NC State doing a lot of stunting slash shifting that the line failed to see or just too many to block? Well, they actually play with a front six um, because they play that 3-3-5, and then they pressure from all different places. They will twist and they will stunt and they will make it really difficult um, to pick them up. And that's one of the reasons they were so good. I mean, they have good players doing that. They have a good defensive corner, but it's a tough scheme. And that's why they were so good against both the run and the pass. And I think again, over the balance of the season, we're going to see them up there as long as their offense just doesn't put them in horrible positions time after time. So yeah, I thought, this was kind of the game I was looking to in terms of schematically difficult. You know, Notre Dame's really faced a couple of those. Navy was very strange in its approach to defense, selling out against the run, having those all-out blitzes. So they've seen a lot of the weirdest things they're going to see this year. Now they will see better athletes when Ohio State comes to town. Uh, but not necessarily a more difficult scheme to deal with. And so uh, I think that that was where the problems are. And then again, these teams are watching film and they're going, okay, these are the guys that we feel we can fool the most. So this is who we're going to test. And that's why they're testing the interior and not messing so much with Joe Alt. <laughs> yeah, um, I... I've only rewatched closely the first half for the film analysis that I'm working on, which will be on the offensive line uh, that will run on InsideIndieSports.com for our subscribers um, on Tuesday. Uh, so I will, I will caveat what I'm about to say with that. I've only, I don't have all the information I'd like to have to give a, a, a fuller spectrum of this. But from the first half, I think it wasn't as much confusing Notre Dame because Notre Dame seemed to get in the right spots, but then when they got to the right spots, they weren't winning at the, at the point of attack. Um, so maybe it's Marcus con- mentioned that too. He felt like they came jacked up NC state did, but yeah, yeah so I think they, there were some, some losses in one-on-one matchups. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the, the first sack of Sam Hartman, I think that's the first third down off the top of my head, Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler get beat like from the snap, it's just, it's bad. 
Um, and th- they just can't afford to do that. Um, you can't have an, a whole side of your offensive line get whooped uh, so cleanly. Um, and, and Sam Hartman didn't have much of a chance in that situation. So um, I think uh, Notre Dame did a decent job of adjusting and, and knowing what was coming, but they weren't always – maybe some of the thinking was was preventing them from being as physical as they wanted to, or maybe they were um, playing more tentative than they needed to be. They needed to play a little bit more aggressively um, and physically as an offensive line. So I think the issues are fixable, but NC State does present a lot of different stunts with the three – they only have three defensive linemen, though, but they're not going to always line up in the same spots. They're going to they're going to slant. You're going to have linebackers coming from different spots, um, and they're very aggressive in trying to penetrate. Um, and Notre Dame uh, struggled at times um, to contain some of that penetration. Okay, so we again small sample size, but we have a new offensive coordinator in Jared Parker a second-year defensive coordinator in Al Golden, and a new special teams coordinator in Marty Biaggi. So through three games, Tyler, how would you evaluate those three guys? I think all three have done a pretty good job. Um, We we finally – we kept talking about how Spencer Schrader had this monster leg, and then we finally – see, he hit the the upright halfway up from 56 yards away. Um, Certainly you want to see him make those kicks. Uh, but set a school record with a 54-yard field goal. Um, and I think for the most part, the special teams units have been pretty good, haven't necessarily made a lot of game-changing plays, uh, but I think that those are things um, that you have to sort of be patient with that are not always going to present themselves. But you would have liked to have thought that maybe you could get them against Tennessee State or Navy being um, inferior opponents and, and maybe having some physical advantages there. Um, but Al Golden, like we, we mentioned, just sort of the adjustments that they've made, um, I think have been good. I think the game plans have been pretty sound. Um, and, and Jared Parker, not, not a lot to nitpick there. I think there were some, I didn't love the play calling at the very beginning of the game. It seemed very vanilla against NC state. Um, and I think sort of played into NC state's aggressive nature from the start. Um, and it took Notre Dame maybe one more drive to, to counter that than I would have liked. Uh, but um, that's just a kind of a small nitpick there. Uh, I, I Certainly what we've seen with the way the offense has um, executed two-minute drills speaks highly to what Jared Parker um, is doing there. I, I'm a proponent of maybe trying to mix that in um, more offensively, that sort of tempo, fast pace that Sam Hartman seems to have so much success with. Um, probably not going to see that against Central Michigan, but maybe Notre Dame mixes that in against Ohio State. Like, why, why not come out first series against Ohio State and run some up-tempo and try to catch them off guard? Um, I think those would be – I know that sort of goes in the face of being an O-line, D-line driven program. You want to come out and sort of run the ball down their throat. Um, but uh, sometimes being smarter beats working harder. So I think that that's something that Notre Dame has to consider uh, with its offense moving forward. How about you, Eric? How about, well, how about this? Rank them one, two, three in terms of – how they've done this season. I would put Biagi three only because of the coverage teams haven't been stellar, you know, kickoff coverage and punt return. So I would put him third. I would say Parker has really surprised me. So I don't want that to overwhelm my choice. I would still put Al Golden first. Um, 
because there's nobody like Sam Hartman on the defense. Uh, so um, I would put Al Golden first because of how much he's had to adjust his game plans in within the game. And then they've also taken some big weaknesses from last year, and they've been really good at those two things, which is mm-hmm. red zone defense and takeaways. Number seven defense in the country, number four in pass efficiency defense. Uh, but I think Jared Parker has done a really good job. I don't think he's too far behind Al Golden at this point. Yeah, and uh, you, with the, the amount of balls that have been on the ground that Notre Dame hasn't recovered, um, yeah. you think that the turnover margin could even start swaying more in Notre Dame's favor if they get their hands on a couple of those fumbles. The likelihood is that Notre Dame will recover more the more fumbles that happen, um, but they they've certainly have had their share of missed opportunities with the fumbles so far this season. Right. Uh, and and again, just their resilience, their depth. You know, my column Saturday night, I was like, you know, I, I thought Notre Dame all along had a quarterback that was going to give them a fighting chance in every game. And my statement was maybe the guys around them also do that now. Maybe that's what we learned from the NC State game was that they've got a pretty good team around him. Well, they'll certainly get tested in that and that could make me look somebody who told me that i was right earlier i hope a few weeks from now you tell me i'm (laughs) right again about that so and i apologize for not remembering who told me i was right it happened so infrequently so i think it was i'll find it uh ron robert was the one who said it since it was since it was ron we will pull up this question from ron uh shrouth and ford i believe he means tyson ford here uh, were highly regarded coming out of high school, yet Both they are getting getting very few plays in games so far. Do you have an opinion on why so little playing time? Oh, Shrouth got beaten out by Pat Coogan. I, I've maintained that I think next year Shrouth is likely going to be a starter and is going to be on a really steep trajectory up once he starts playing. I think Pat Coogan will probably be the center next year. And and then uh, then Shrouth and Rocco Spindler will be the guards. Tyson Ford, I think his time is coming. I think 2024 is when we're going to be starting to talk about Tyson Ford. You know, Riley Mills is likely going to move out. Howard Cross will likely be done. He won't. I don't think he'll come back for sixth year. And so he'll have more of an opportunity to make an impact. And he's bounced between, kind of did the Riley Mills thing. Well, I can provide you some depth inside and provide you some depth on the edge at the field end spot. I think once he zeroes into one or the other, I think you're going to see him ascend. I think he's got a great attitude, really good athlete. I like his future, but I just don't think this is the year we're going to hear a lot from Tyson Ford. Yeah, this offseason, I I was, and I think you may have as well, when we were talking about guys that maybe could take a big step up, we thought and hoped that Tyson Ford could, um, but that wasn't necessarily the case that happened this offseason. Um, sort of the back and forth, I, I think, probably hasn't helped him in the most. His, his weight has fluctuated pretty significantly um, right. with that. Um, and so I think, it's just, I think it's a matter of time. I really like his skill set. Um, and same with Billy Shrouth. Like you said, he got beat up by Pat Coogan. I would be interested to see if, if Notre Dame makes a move at, at one of the guard positions. And like I said earlier, I would, I would think Spindler is more vulnerable in terms of being replaced than Pat Coogan right now. 
um, to see if maybe Billy Strouth is that guy, even though Strouth was in the competition with Pat Coogan at left guard. Um, I don't know exactly what Notre Dame wants to do there um, if it were to to change up its guard spot. Um, so I think Strouth is in the running. Um, they're still young players. Billy Strouth is a sophomore. Even though we've seen so much success from Joe Alt and Blake Fisher, you, you still don't see a lot of guys playing offensive line at the best programs um, as young players. They have to they have to wait their turn because there is talent ahead of them. And so um, I think that's that's the situation that Billy Strouth is in right now. All right. Uh, oh, sorry. You got some ad there? No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, Scott Phillips asked uh, Eric. Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't the press conferences? used to go in seniority instead of being called on. I seem to remember you always going first with the injuries. Well, thank you for telling me that I'm old. But <laughs> um, it, it's a different strategy. So it has nothing to do with seniority. I would just raise my hand and they would bring the microphone up to me. In the old Brian Kelly press conferences, you could ask as many questions as you wanted. And they were going to cut off people at a certain point and not take any more questions. So I thought, let me get my questions out of the way first so that I'm never unable to ask my questions in a press conference. So I always, but really where it actually started was in the Charlie Weiss press conferences, because there were a lot of people that were intimidated by Charlie his first year. And I had covered Bob Knight really early in my career in basketball. And if you didn't ask a question right away, he'd walk out. So <laughs> I was going to get questions going and I didn't care if Charlie was mean to me or, or whatever. And that only happened once. Um, but uh, I wanted to get my, so it was really a strategic thing. Then when we went to Marcus Freeman, we went to a different format where you got, one question and a follow-up. So basically two questions. So now I'm like, okay, let me wait mm -hmm. until I see if some of the questions I have on my list, because there's usually about eight or nine, get asked. And then I s grab the microphone, because again, I don't want to go and miss things, although I think they would still let me ask my questions. But it it's very strategic in terms of when you want to go once some of your questions been asked, then you think, okay, we're, we're going to get answers to that. Like today, I thought somebody would ask the injury question before I did. So I used one of my two questions on the injuries, although it turned into like a seven-part question. <laughs> and then I really wanted to talk about the pass rush, so I was able to get that question in as well. But it's purely strategic. There's nobody that's more senior than me, I don't think. I think I'm older than Tim Priest or we're about the same age. Is there somebody older than me? Do you think, Tyler? Um, that seems nobody like with a, more gray hair than me. That's that seems sure. like a trap. I don't know how I'm supposed to answer that. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, yeah, I would. Yeah, I think you and Priester would be in the in the running there. I don't know that there's anyone else that comes to mind that would that would be uh, a Chuck Freebie. Well, he's he's got to be around the same age as you guys, right? Yeah, I think he's maybe a little bit younger than us. Okay. Apologies to Chuck Freebie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, I, I, I just want to jump in on that. I There was one point um, during the Brian Carroll. So we've even, like, the place we hold press conferences um, during the week has changed. Like, we used to be in the auditorium in the Goog, um, and now we're in the post-game room, media room. That is is a new room after the the renovations in the stadium. 
um, post-game media room. We do that for Monday's Marcus Freeman press conference, and we did it for Brian Kelly's at the tail end as well. Um, so back when we were in the Goog Auditorium, I used to sit next to Eric, and then I always had trouble getting the mic back once Eric passed it away. So then I would sit next to Eric and have him hand it to me because I didn't like turning around to try because then the, the people that were holding the mic would go back to other rows, and I would have to like wave them around and like turn my back to Brian Kelly, and I was just waiting for Brian Kelly to crack a joke at me for not paying attention to him. So uh, that was the last thing I wanted. So that I, there is some strate- like strategy to it. And then once we switched to this uh, format, like I sit on the opposite side of Eric, because there's they have microphones on each side of the room, and so I feel like I have a better chance of getting it on the right side uh, than if than if both of us were on the same side of the room. Uh, so I think uh, uh, there is some strategy that goes into it, and it's not uh, it's not seniority based. I, I'd like to think that um, they give we have some respect from the folks at Notre Dame that if we want to ask a question, they're going to make time for it. But sometimes if you wait too long, um, usually around that thirty minute mark on Monday, you you might get left out, and I know that's happened. Um, before so it and marcus is is uh using some filibustering techniques with a, a long opening statements today he was close to nine <laughs> minutes uh, so they did go over the 30 minute mark thankfully because he went so long uh i assume that's why they went a little bit longer but uh we, we have to make sure that we get our questions in but um, when you're limited with questions it does help to sort of wait a little bit to make sure that um all the questions that you have in mind get 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 asked all right, Toledo Johnny wants a prediction from us. Who will be the next surprise touchdown reception, a running back or a receiver? And I assume he wants a specific person, not, not whether or not it'll be a surprise. Just, just a generic. Okay, well, that could happen in this game if they're 33.5-point favorites. I will say the next surprise will be Braylon James. Oh, Wow. I was going to go Rico Flores, but I don't know if that counts as a surprise. He plays a lot of reps. I, I, guess, I guess that would be a surprise if he doesn't have one, which he doesn't. So, Yeah, I mean, and, and if he gets one before Tobias Merriweather, that would be surprising. Tobias Merriweather uh, has yet to have a touchdown this season. Um, the, the folks who have t- caught touchdowns so far this year, Jaden Thomas has one, Jaden Greathouse has three, Chris Tyree one, Holden Stays three, Jabron Payne one, G- Deion Colsey one. Jadarian Price won, and Davis Sherwood won. So Davis Sherwood was probably the the biggest surprise. So maybe um, if if uh, Cooper Flanagan got one, um, yeah, maybe that would be a surprise. Cooper did get some playing time in, in this game against NC State, so maybe he gets a, gets it in the end zone soon too. Do we? Did you want to do any recruiting notes? Is there anything of note from recruiting before Nothing, we sign no- up? Nothing significant. I mean, we're still in the same spot we're in. I think certainly we got to keep, we'll be keeping an eye on the visitors for Central Michigan and Ohio State. Um, probably more of an eye on the Ohio State visitors. That, that'll certainly be a more impressive visitors list. Um, and we'll be working to confirm names with those and, and, and having those names on the Inside Allows message board for our InsideNDSports.com subscribers. So make sure you're headed over there and keep up with the recruiting information that Charleston Bulls will be bringing you. Um, over the next couple weeks, because especially that Ohio State game, we'll have a lot of coverage going into and coming out of that weekend because there are some very important visitors. And this week, um, the biggest visitor is Bear Bachmeyer, um, the quarterback out of uh, California, 2025 quarterback. The other sort of Notre Dame's prioritized two quarterbacks right now, one being Deuce Knight, who has been the top option for a while, and Bear Bachmeyer, 
was offered in July, and this will be his first visit as a recruit. Um, and so we will see what happens there. I think Notre Dame would like to have its 2025 quarterback recruiting wrapped up sooner rather than later and has two talented um, options there with Deuce Knight and Bear Bachmeyer Bear. Um, Deuce being the number one uh, dual threat quarterback in the 2025 class, according to rivals. Bear, I'm not sure where he's at in terms of pro style quarterback rankings, but I think his overall ranking is just outside the top 100. Um, so uh, both talented, talented prospects uh, at the quarterback position. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on Football Never Sleeps. Uh, thank you for everyone for tuning in. Thank you to Legacy Heating and Air um, for sponsoring our weekly Football Never Sleeps. And uh, make sure you're subscribed to us here on YouTube, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. Um, our weekly schedule is Football Never Sleeps on Monday night, um, live, then a recorded episode of Place Your Bets on Friday mornings, and then we'll have a post-game takeaway show Saturday or late Saturday or early Sunday, depending on the kickoff time. <laughs> that Ohio State game, that one's not getting posted till early Sunday, uh, the, the post-game takeaway. So um, make sure you subscribe to us here, have your alerts on so you get make sure, and you get, receive those notifications um, when new content is posted from us. Um, and then over in the podcast realm, we'll be doing an Inside Any Sports podcast uh, every Tuesday. So make sure you are checking us out over there as well. Have a good week.